Welcome to the Meditation Ward. My name is Nadia Ward, and I'm really excited to bring you this podcast. I talk to a lot of meditation practitioners about their practice and what led them into meditation and what keeps them there. I hope you enjoy it. Each week, we have a second episode where you get a guided meditation. So you can come back and use those whenever you need them, and they're there for you. Are you interested in starting your own meditation practice? Check out TheMeditationWar.com, where I offer a six-week program to work with you one-on-one to teach you meditation tools and to help you find a practice that works for you and your lifestyle. I'm also a health and wellness coach certified through Georgetown University. So if you're interested in wellness coaching through a meditative perspective, I'd love to talk to you more about that. Contact me at TheMeditationWar.com or find us on Instagram, The Meditation Ward. And now our episode. Today, we are lucky to talk to Izzy Short. Izzy is a psychotherapist specializing with eating disorders, anxiety, and self-harming. She's a yoga teacher who did 500 hours of training at the Asheville Yoga Center, and she approaches yoga, teaching with a connection to the source, where yoga comes from, dissecting ancient texts, and bringing the value and relevance into today's world. On top of this, she is also a mother and still finds time for her own yoga and meditation practice. We're really happy to have you today, Izzy. Thanks for coming by. Oh boy. Thanks for that introduction. (laughs) You're welcome. So tell us a little bit about you. And I'd love to start getting into the conversation of your journey that led you into meditation and yoga. Yeah. So let's see. Um, my partner, my husband, Nathan, um, when we first met was really into meditation and, um, I hadn't, I had done yoga asana in college, but I had really no experience with meditation, but you know, at the, at the point where like shortly after we started dating, he was doing like pretty extended, uh, Vipassana retreats. He would go up to the insight meditation center up in Barrie, Massachusetts, and he'd sit for like 10 days. What is Vipassana? So Vipassana is a, a style of meditation that comes from Sri Lanka. And it, it really, think about Vipassana that I like is that there's a lot of simplicity to it, you know, as where with, um, you know, more like Zen traditions or Tibetan traditions, there's a whole lot of like pageantry and, and you know, things you need to memorize and deities and things like that. Uh, Vipassana is just like really straightforward, you know, like a, a practice that's free pared down. So he was a meditator, which kind of intrigued me. And um, I was in a place of really intense, like uh, mental, emotional pain. And so, you know, I was like, maybe this could help me. So I experimented uh, with just doing some really basic sitting on my own, like just like five minutes a day, a little bit then. But it was really, you know, fast forward another three years later, um, as part of my 200 hour yoga teacher training at Asheville Yoga Center, we were required to have a daily meditation practice. And um, so that's when I began sitting daily. Do you mind sharing about your like emotional pain? I feel like part of this, I want to help share with people that it's okay to be in pain and it's okay 
that's where we all come from a lot when we start finding these kinds of practices. Yeah. Do you feel like sharing about that at all? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a kind of a layered thing. So, um, really at war with my body, you know, like complicated kind of stuff, right? Like I have like, I had like physical things that I hadn't quite worked out, like, uh, blood sugar issues and like irritable bowel syndrome. So like, I felt awful in my body pretty much all the time. And then sort of borderline still, like I had had kind of a full-blown eating disorder as a teenager. And although I wasn't engaging in as many like overt behaviors, there was still some restricting going on, you know, like just at, just like full on at war with my body all the time, just like hadn't sorted it out at all. And then just a lot of undiagnosed anxiety, just like, it's just really, really intense social anxiety, performance anxiety. Um, and then just like total emotional ignorance, you know, like being a really sensitive, like highly emotional person um, and being kind of like in denial about that and like having no idea how to orient towards it, you know, like had been essentially, you know, told as a kid that if I was being emotional, I was being a pain in the ass. You know? <laughs> and yeah. so I had all these feelings. I had no way to make them disappear. And then just feeling like I'm perpetually if I was feeling anxious, I was being a pain in the ass or something like that. So just like, like fully at war with myself, like just like, like a whole lot of confusion, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, once you met your partner that you're still with, yeah, you, um, started seeing like the meditation practice specifically and like, instead of just like what yoga can be versus actually the meditation practice. Yeah. So when I met Nathan, I really wasn't in a yoga practice. I would like maybe drop into a studio class here or there for like a very kind of fitnessy kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I would just like sit down for like five minutes and, you know, try and pay attention to my breath and just like watch my mind race. But like, even in that span of five minutes, I think it just allowed my nervous system to settle just a bit so that I could finally breathe. Like, I think I was like, in fight or flight, probably, I don't like all the time, <laughs> like pretty much just like, you know, living in New York city, working in a super competitive cutthroat industry, not feeling safe in my body, not feeling safe with just, you know, like vibrating with anxiety, like all the time, basically. Yeah. When you, um, cause you're a psychotherapist, yeah. had you already gone to school for that before this or after? No, this came later. So at that time I was working for design and fashion magazines. So I worked for a magazine called Surface Magazine. I worked for a magazine called New York Spaces and I was in advertising. I would go around and, and I would sell ad space. Um, and I had you know these deadlines and all this inner conflict about selling people things and just it, it was kind of some some of it was fun some of it yeah was fun but it was very stressful yeah and it sounds kind of like a surface job yeah <laughs> surface magazine the surface um so can you talk a little bit more about what your five minutes looked like just watching the mind race like if somebody's listening to this right now and they're like i can maybe do five minutes 
what would that look like if you were helping someone that had no background or trying to reconnect with themselves? Um, I don't know. Metaphor that, uh, comes to mind is like this idea of like, uh, being in a body of water, right? Like, so like most of the time, I think I was like fully submerged and racing thoughts. (laughs) And then like, if I'd sit for five minutes, I'd have these periods where I'd be like, racing thoughts, racing thoughts, racing thoughts, like totally enveloped in them. And then I would just like kind of get my head up above water and be able to look around and be like, oh, whoa, like there's the breath, there's the body, right? Like the mind could just for, I mean, like a second, seconds, just just quiet. And then I get like pulled back. (laughs) And it was just like going like back and forth like that for five minutes. But even, even in just those glimpses where I could get my head up above water, I could see another way. I could see like more possibility. There is like a, another side of life. Yeah. Yeah. So would you try to focus on your breath or try not to focus on your thoughts? I think that's something hard that I still, I mean, I've been meditating for a while now, but in the beginning, it's like, oh, try to find spaces of stillness. Oh, I think I found a space of stillness. Oh wait, now I'm thinking about finding the space of stillness. Okay. So now you need to let that go. So, you know, yeah. um, and then it's like, Oh, come back to inhale. Yeah. Exhale. Well, I'm on a podcast right now. Sorry. Here's my part. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And you know what, let's be honest. It's, it's still like that. A lot of, you know what I mean? And I, you know, I think for most of us that are householders that, don't or haven't set aside, you know, undisturbed periods of retreat or, you know, where you can really go within, you know, 10 days a month, something like that. Like that's, that's what meditation is, you know, like, you know, you're, uh, and there's so many different styles of meditation, right. But if we're talking about concentration or single pointed focus or shamatha or samadhi or something like that, where where you're trying to place your attention on one thing, you know, it's like, you place your attention on the thing and you get into a groove and then the mind does its thing. And then it might take you a minute to notice that you've drifted away and then you come back. And, but even all of that back and forth is so useful, right? Because it, it builds this muscle of knowing when you're off course, you know, like, um, Viveka, right? In the sutras, they talk about this, like this moment where you're like, all of a sudden, like, just you have discernment. You're like, oh, wait, I'm off course, right? And, and a lot of times we get discouraged then. We're like, ah, I suck at meditating or, or like in your life when you're like, ah, like I've, I've been doing this thing again that I didn't want to do, you know? Uh, We get discouraged at that moment, but actually that's kind of a cool moment because then it's only when we know that we're off course, do we have any possibility to come back? You know? Yeah. I don't know if that's a tangent, but <laughs> no, it's not. Um, so how long did it take you to start? I mean, you mentioned that even getting your head above water for a second or two, like made you realize that things could be different, but how long did it take you to start to really realize that things were changing in your mind as a whole, you know what I mean? Um, I think it was reflected to me in my relationships. I think that I have someone 
complicated relationship with parents kind of thing. Uh, just had had tremendous anxiety about around relationships and trusting, you know, trusting that people like meant well by me, you know, and so that would manifest in, in turbulence in relationships, you know, I found that my relationships became less dramatic, you know, that um, I could kind of, I could see what I was kind of adding you know, to interactions or adding to kind of exchanges with others. And, and a lot of that extra stuff started to fall away. Yeah. And, and I was in a space. So when I got really serious about meditation, I was really held in this incredibly close, warm, supportive community that was kind of like the astral yoga scene, where it was just like, Asheville's like this place where nobody's from there. Everybody comes there and they want to heal. And it's like, just like, like wildly uncommonly supportive. You know, it's like the kind of place where you could learn to play a musical instrument in your thirties in public in front of others and make a complete ass of yourself and everyone would be like, right on. <laughs> and, and so I had a lot of these relationships that, I could trust like I could so it allowed me to relax a lot of that patterning too a lot of that like tense anxious patterning around people um so it created a nice feedback loop I could see how I was adding tension I started to soften that tension it it was met with like a really positive reinforcing response and the safer I felt the more I relaxed and the more I relaxed the better my relationships got and and it was like probably like, I don't know, a couple years into it, I was like, whoa, I'm different. <laughs> so your meditations went from five minutes and then how did you start working them up longer? And why don't you talk about what your meditation practice looks like today? And oh. then the space of the time from going from five minutes to today and maybe the ups and downs or. Do you want you me had. to talk about where I started or start where I am now? Let's like start where you are now, and then we can go backwards to how you got there. Okay. So I sit in the morning, um, every morning, and most of the time it's 30 minutes. Sometimes if things are, you know, kind of tight for time, it's like 20 minutes. And my practice these days tends to be um, more of like a choiceless awareness practice, um, and so this technique, uh, it does actually come from the Vipassana or insight tradition. And with choiceless awareness, unlike single pointed focus practice, you, you let your, um, you, you cast this really wide net where anything, I see a cattail, where anything that is arising in the present moment is fair game. And the goal is clear seeing and to kind of dance on that pin that is the present moment, right? So a lot of times I'll work at least in the beginning with noting where silently to myself, I'll start to note different bodily sensations, different sounds, note different thoughts or patterns of thought. And, and then at some point, I usually sort of let go of the, the device of noting where I'm using words and I'm just trying to stay in the flow of the present moment. Um, and then when you get hooked by thinking, you know, here they are enveloped underwater again, 
you know that. <laughs> and the minute you know that, your head's above water. And so um, for the most part, I'm not trying to do single pointed focus as much anymore. So do you say like noting the things first, it's like things that you might hear in the space um, to bring you into your space, into the body, like, like aches or creaks in the body, things like that. And then you start naming like thoughts as they come up. Really what you, it's, it's so cool. It's so liberating. You just pause, you hold a little space and you just note what's there. So you're not trying to direct the flow, right? So if you pause and you notice air conditioning sound, you know that. If you notice breeze, you know that. If you notice here comes a thought into the space of the mind, you note that. Um, I do find that as I sit, there's a natural tapering, right? Where it seems like things are kind of coming sort of quickly and in a more chaotic way. And I do find that by the end of sitting, my attention sort of concentrates around the breath and the body a bit. Um, but I, I just look and say, what's here? What's here? That's beautiful. It's a cool <laughs> technique and yogis don't do it a lot. I think because the, the yogic tradition it, that like the classical yoga tradition from the yoga sutras really emphasizes single pointed focus, emphasizes concentration which is different. Yeah. Can you give an example of single pointed focus for us? The classic one is trying to focus on the breath. Okay. To use a mantra. Yeah. Just one breath. thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, when you think about Javasana, it's trying to be still and just allowing thoughts to come and go. That's more in line. I would say yeah. with, um, like what you're doing choiceless awareness. Yeah. Yeah. So to get to this 30 minutes that you have now of this style of meditation, um, can you share what that journey has been like to get you here? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, so back to teacher training, first I was sitting five minutes, then 10 minutes, then 15 and 20. And it was just as simple as I found like more equals better. And I also went through this really amazing, magical time in my life where I had just a lot of time on my hands, right? Because I, I quit my job that was not, I was ill-suited for. And then I was immersed in yoga, you know? So I was teaching yoga full-time. I was doing a 300-hour training. I was shadowing my teacher and little bit of waiting tables, but like I just had, I wasn't on the nine to five grind. So I could just practice asana for like two hours a day. And I had plenty of time to meditate. So I did more and more equal better. <laughs> so I just, it was very reinforcing. Um, and then I studied meditation a, a little bit with um, my teacher, Michael Johnson. I did some, um, trainings with him about meditation. I did some one-on-one -on -one sessions with him as well. And that was all very concentration focused, very single pointed focus. And, um, you know, I don't know about you, but like, I have one of these minds that's very squirrely. It doesn't like to stay put. That's a good word squirrely. Yeah. And <laughs> I, to me, I, I feel like it's about the nervous system. 
I, I feel like kind of going back to, I'm not someone that really had a lot of context for ever feeling safe, you know? And if you think about animals, right? If an animal is not feeling safe, the last thing it's going to do is like sit down and focus on one thing, right? It's going to be like up <laughs> looking all, you know, and I think it was, I think it's like a nervous system, system wiring for me, but I sucked at single pointed focus, but it like, there was just like benefits proliferating everywhere. Like, so it was like, I'm really bad at this thing, but it's helping me so much. So I'm going to keep doing it, even though, <laughs> even though I'm like, not really, you know, it's not like I sit down and I'm in Samadhi. That's not what's happening, but what does the word Samadhi mean? Um, Samadhi is the Sanskrit for Shamatha. Shamatha is, um, you know, the, uh, Tibetan for it. It means union. It just means getting with one thing. Um, and so, yeah, like I was like, so you weren't in union and you weren't like in union with the meditation because it felt so hard to this single concentration, but you kept doing it because of the benefits. Yeah. I was feeling so much happier, so much clearer, so much calmer, sleeping better. My body was working better. It, like just everything. It was like, oh, like I found magic. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's how it felt, you know. Um, so then I, you know, I pretty much continued on in that way. I did a couple of meditation retreats, which were that's a whole other thing we could talk about if you want to. But um, and then just recently, I think like maybe three years ago, I started working with uh, a meditation teacher. I started working with um, Vince and Emily Horn of the Buddhist Geeks. Um, they're meditation teachers. They live just outside Asheville. They were teachers of friends of mine and I wanted some help. And so I had been telling Emily, like, hey, look, I've been doing concentration now daily for like 10 years. I still suck at it. Um, and she was like, well, she, she's very interesting. She's like, it sounds like your practice has like a very masculine flavor to it. You know, like you're trying to like will something to submit here. And she's like, you know, what about a more like feminine approach that was like allowing receptive, you know, like that. And so she, she gave, she pointed me towards the practice of choiceless awareness, um, which was a game changer because it was like a geyser of energy I'd been sitting on just like, like, like all this restraint I had had was let go. And it, it was, things got cool and weird for a minute, like for like a month, I couldn't stop meditating. I was just like noting this, noting this, noting this, noting this. Like, I was just like, Whoa, like I can just be in this flow whenever you know and I started having like well not started I had one experience a very powerful life-changing lucid dream where I was meditating in my dream and some some knot untied and I woke up feeling euphoric and I felt euphoric for like a week <laughs> um so it was I think just what I needed at the right time and so then, you know, things have been less euphoric, right? Like things, there's, you know, ups and downs and cycles with meditation. But uh, 
but that's a practice I've stayed with since. I guess that brings us up to this moment. <laughs> cool. Um, you probably wouldn't have been able to have that experience though, if you had not had the patience to learn to sit though, do you think? Like, like physically hold the body still. Yeah. And have that kind of, you'd already got your mind quiet enough from when you were younger and had so many thoughts that this experience is probably stronger, quicker. Yeah. I think choiceless awareness can be, there's different camps, right? There's, there's certain camps. And I feel like a lot of folks who are in the yoga world that are serious meditators are in this camp. That's like, you have to do some mind training. They have to do some kind of cultivating of the ground. And then there's other camps that are like, um, you might call it like the always already camps that say, we don't need any preparation. We can just drop in, you know? I think you probably do need some preparation. <laughs> like, I, I do think you need to cultivate the mind a little bit uh, first, yeah. So you said you can kind of drop into cultivation, to choiceless awareness anytime you want? Yeah. I mean, I think you could too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, say you're like out and about or driving or it's something that you can literally come back to anytime. Yeah. It's really a very portable practice in that sense. It's pretty cool. Did you ever have times in your life where you were just like, I can't do this. I don't have the time for this. I'm sick of doing this. Um, you know, I think it could have gone that way, right? That, um, so when my daughter was born, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but she had, oh my gosh, like just brutal um, allergies and reflux. And like the first two years of her life were very stressful because she was very difficult to feed. And at times she, we needed to go to the hospital and get her feeding tubes. And it was like every day was a challenge to get her fed, to keep her growing. Right. And, um, and it, you know, it was, it was frankly traumatic, you know, and I think I could have turned away from my practice at that time, but instead I clung to it like, like a life preserver. I was, you know, I just was like, I'm not going to get through this if, you know, if I'm not sitting every day. In fact, I would meditate when I would feed her. I would do loving kindness meditation because I was so anxious about, is she, is she going to finish this feed? And I knew that she would sense my anxiety. So I was just trying to do everything I could to mitigate that, to try to, you know, to present as just calm, open, loving, you know, I don't know how well it worked or time will tell. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think, I think it kept me sane. Um, and can you tell us what loving kindness meditation is? Yeah. So Metta, um, in Pali or in Sanskrit it's Maitri and, and it's a, a meditation. It's actually a concentration practice. It's really good for getting, settling the mind on this, but it's, it's about generating a feeling, you know, so people that are really emotional people, um, I think this can be a really good place to start. I did a lot of meta actually, um, loving kindness. Um, when I was in teacher training, like towards the beginning of my practice too, not just breath centered stuff, but a lot of meta, not now I'm remembering. 
um, where you're trying to connect with feelings of like love and compassion and connection and safety. Um, and so for those with like a trauma history or those really prone towards anxiety, I think it does help a lot of that nervous system squirreliness to settle. Um, and you can work it with imagery. So you can like be very like, um, like imaginative or working with like visualization. Um, you can work it with like, just like almost like a mantra, like repeating phrases over and over again. Um, but, but based it, around emotion, it's and like love and kindness. May I be happy? May I be healthy? May I be safe? May I be free from suffering? That's that's the that's the traditional um, that comes from the Metta Sutta. Um, but uh, I I'm a visual person, so I would work a lot with like visual imagery and things like that because what you're what you're inclining towards is the feeling of love and connection, like like this the feeling you feel when you're with your safest person and y'all are vibing and it's all open and good, right? That's, um, and actually the, 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 myth, the myth around it is that the Buddha taught this to monks who were trying to meditate in a, um, a haunted forest and they were being tormented by ghosts. And the Buddha was like, here, I got something for you. Um, so it, it's really lovely for anxiety and fear and things like that. So anyway, to try to, to do my best to, you know, because moms and babies, their nervous systems are so linked to try to, you know, again, mitigate any amount of anxiety I was transmitting. I was just, I was trying to do that all the time, you know. What would you say to people who are newer meditators um, about, tips or tools to stay with their practice? Hmm. Maybe things that you might've found on your way that have helped you or just encouragement. Something as simple as that it's, it's all good, right? That like some days you sit and you kind of drop into like a really sweet spot and it's very like in the moment rewarding. And you're like, ooh, that was a good meditation. And then the next day, you know, your mind is a rabid squirrel <laughs> and, and it's all good because you're getting awareness up around things and, and we need to see ourselves and be with ourselves when we're hurting or anxious too. And that it's really just about showing up. You know, like that's the most important thing is to just show up, you know, in that, you know, kind of the, the practice will work on you in ways that you're not even aware of. <laughs> like you can trust that. Uh, it's your only job is to just show up. And if you can show up, um, one, you start to build some trust with yourself, which is really cool. You know, like, wow, like I can show up for myself every day. Um, yeah, don't be perfectionistic and show up. That's good advice. Don't be perfectionistic and show up. 
Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, what ways do you unexpectedly think you were um, changed? Um, I think a impermanence, like being less bothered by bothersome things, you know, that like, you know, like I, um, just kind of really trusting that it's, things are going to come and go all of it, you know, like getting just like a, a reduction in reactivity. And how do you, what would you like? Hmm. Or your meditative future that's coming. Oh, how would you like to grow still as a person having done already all this work? I don't know. I, because I'm, you know, I'm a householder and I'm just so rooted in the Yeah, life. You said that word earlier, householder. I don't know what that means. I'm not a monk or, or, or a nun. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't live at Yogaville, you know? Like, okay. I've never I heard that term before. I live in a house. I have a mortgage. I have a spouse. I have a child. I cook food. I clean floors, you know, like, <laughs> Like, I'm just really, really immersed in just, you know, householder life that just trying to like do this kind of tantric thing where I like embrace everything as practice. I mean, I think, you know, the hardest practice for me currently is parenting, you know, like really being mindful, getting awareness up around all of the interactions that I have with my kid so that something that's not just part of my learning history or something that's not just like reactive slips through. And of course it does, right? Like, <laughs> like I'm not perfect. It does. Right. But doing what I can to, to, uh, to work against that, right. To like be really intentional and thinking about like, uh, what does this person that is my kid need what are they going to learn from this interaction you know and then a lot of behind the scenes is self-regulation which is mindfulness right so like regulating my tone of voice or you know right choosing my words really carefully working to keep my breath steady right but like but my kid is great because she'll like call me out on this she'll be like why are you making that face you know, she'd be like, your face looks mad. <laughs> I'll be like, damn it. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> um, so it's, there's a lot of that. I think as my daughter becomes older, I think it's going to be getting back to like, hopefully, you know, doing meditation retreat work, um, you know, more study maybe, maybe more, I, I don't know what that, is. sometimes I toy with this idea of getting like a, a master's in Sanskrit or something like that, but, but my daughter's gonna have to like lead, like as she needs me less, I think that will become evident, but we're not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. So right now the meditation practice is just continuing to help you 
show up in new realms of your life, like as a parent and as offering what you offer to her. And just and like how. that everything we do is planting a seed, you know, it's just like, what am I planting right now? <laughs> yeah. But you also do that as a yoga teacher. Yeah. You, you show up to classes with teaching like the sutras and different scripts. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the sutras because the sutras really helped me in my meditation practice, right? Like the sutras are so practical. Like the sutra that I'm chewing on this week says that direct experience works against our conditioning. This is just like so practical and true, right? This, this is like what we do as therapists, right? When people are like having a hard time is because they're not paying attention to their direct experience. They're caught in some kind of habit or rule and they're not paying attention to what's happening out here. Right. And so I've just been chewing on that all week that like the more present I am, the more I am with my direct experience, the less I'm going to be running these habit scripts, you know? So this, the sutras are so helpful in practice, I think. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. I still love the tool and the tip that you gave is not to be a perfectionist and just show up and start with five minutes. Totally. Just show up for yourself for five minutes with your breath and your thoughts. Totally. I stand by that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Cause I said it. So I hope it was right. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Do you have a few minutes to lead us in a little meditation? Oh yeah. I would love that. Okay. So, um, guys, I'm going to end this episode and if you'd like to do the meditation at any time or by yourself, so you don't have to refine it, it's going to be, um, in the episode following this one. Okay. Thanks guys. Bye. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you stick around for the meditation on the next episode. If you're interested in wellness coaching through a meditative lens or starting your own meditation practice with accountability, check out TheMeditationWard.com. Give us a follow on Instagram at TheMeditationWard and please like, review us, and share with your friends. See you soon.